Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm Davina Frederick. Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Uh, I am the host and also the founder of Wealthy Woman Lawyer, where we help women law firm owners scale their law firm businesses to and through a million dollars in gross revenue so they can easily fund and have time to enjoy the lifestyle of their dreams. And I'm super excited today because I have Sam Light here with me uh, on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. And he, like me, absolutely loves to help lawyers uh, scale their businesses. And he's a real uh, guru of automation. So we're going to pick his brain today and have so much fun. He's also the founder of Malai Law. So he has a law firm uh, as well that he he tested all this out on before he actually started uh, LegalFunnel.com. Uh, so Sam, I'm super excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Davina. I'm super excited. I've been looking for this for months. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, we, we tried to start get together before Christmas, but with everything happening, it took us a little while, but I'm glad you're here. Um, so start out, for those of you who are who have not yet heard, start out, tell, tell us how you became, how you came to be a lawyer to begin with. Was this something that you always, you know, I always ask, I'm always curious with lawyers, you know, did we start out as little kids wanting to be lawyers because we watched some favorite TV show, or is it something that's passed down through the family that father did this, so mother did this, so I'm going to do it? Or is it something that came later in life and just by happenstance? So how was it with you? Yeah, for me, it was actually I had a more of an entrepreneur background. As a young kid, I would start a bunch of small businesses. I would sell jeans online. Uh, I started a tutoring company, just a bunch of startups, which I didn't realize was kind of like that gene of a true entrepreneur. Um, and then my law school journey just kind of started because my closest friends were going to law school. I'm like, I have to go to grad school. And, and I didn't like medical, so it just came down to law or business, and I chose, ended up choosing law. And then while I was in law school, I started working, and I realized, like, wait, the work that I'm doing right now, I'm not really enjoying this. I was doing discovery and interrogatories and all that stuff. And I'm like, I also didn't have, had an epiphany. I'm like, wait, I don't necessarily want to be a traditional lawyer, like doing, you know, doing legal, uh, legal paperwork. And then while I was waiting for my bar exam uh, results, I started uh, doing some soul searching, but what do I really want to do in life until I met one of my friends who started his own law firm who's one year ahead of me. And the fact that it, when I noticed that he, you know, he, would, he, he didn't have that much experience and he ended up starting his own law firm, that kind of gave me the insight that I could too. So within six months of passing the bar, I basically started my own law firm. Didn't know how to get clients at all. Didn't know anything. I didn't have a mentor. And I basically had to self-educate and teach myself how to get clients, mm-hmm. how, to, how to start a law firm. And um, fast forward, it's been a really fun journey. I've actually been able to kind of figure out the very practical ways to be able to get a, a law firm up up and running, generate clients, automate it to be able to serve the clients, get a lot of Google reviews and rinse and repeat. And now I have seven uh, virtual law firms that are currently actively running, all automated. Um, and because I'm kind of, you know, those are running on their own. That's where I kind of, most of my time now goes to Legal Funnel, which is basically my passion project teaching other lawyers 
and showing that it is completely possible to run a completely virtual and automated law firm. That's wonderful. That's what I love that. I love your journey and I really relate to it because uh, I've, of course, I've been listening to a lot of interviews with you and stuff in preparation for this podcast. And I, I know you said, you know, at one point, and, and you just mentioned it now, like, I think this happens to a lot of us. Like we have in our mind, you know, we're going to be lawyers and we go through law school and then we start doing legal work and the day in and day out. And we're like, oh, this isn't what I thought I was signing up for. And I know that was certainly the case with me. It was, um, it was a lot more um, stressful on a day-to-day basis because what I was involved in litigation it was very um, adversarial. You're always feel like you're constantly arguing every day, all day. And uh, so when I started my second firm, my virtual firm, I really went with a transactional model for that for that reason because I was like, this is just this just stinks. But one of the things that I think you really mastered that early on, which um, I wish I had, is that you've been able to automate your model and you've been able to build a team to actually do the work, right? Um, So talk to me about that a little bit. What was that like? Because I think a lot of lawyers are reluctant to even hire other attorneys to begin with. And for you to go in and say, I'm going to set up this virtual law firm and I'm going to my job is going to be to set up these businesses and then I need other people to keep them going. How, how did you learn to sort of let go of that and find those people that you could trust that you didn't feel like I'm going to have to turn in my bar card if they screw this up? <laughs> so running a law firm encompasses a lot of, a uh, lot of things. So signing up the clients, being able to onboard the clients, gather the information, gather the documents, and then if you, if you write down everything that needs to be done from A to Z, you actually be surprised that there isn't that much legal work that really needs to be done by an actual attorney. A lot of the preparations, the drafting, the gathering, the documents, signing up the clients, all that stuff could be definitely handed off to even non-lawyers. So it's, you know, people are kind of used to their ways that they think like a lawyer has to do this draft. Not necessarily, you know, could really question it and see whether you can get non-attorneys to kind of help you. Um, draft those things and then you become and review it and make sure it's finalized and good for your clients. Um, I know, I know that might <laughs> annoy people. Like, wait, what do you mean? A lawyer has they can do non-legal work. No, no, that's not, that's not what I'm suggesting, but you know, question the ways that the way you're currently doing and see if there's ways to kind of work around it um, and still be able to serve your clients in the, in the most proper way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did you find that to be a challenge or, or have you, in the last couple of years where we've had the pandemic and we've had the great resignation, we've had a lot of people that have had had to deal with the transition with suddenly the lawyers on their team or the paralegals on their team are being recruited away. They're being poached away. Um, Have you experienced that? Because I know you run a lot of your businesses with virtual assistants and you really like to work with uh, freelancers, not agencies, right? Have you had any issues with having to, you know, have good people doing the work and replacing them and that kind of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Across all the law firms that we're currently running, the number one problem we have is people hiring good enough people that can run the managerial directoral or the good attorneys that can find to do the legal work. So yes, definitely. You know, there's been a major trend and a lot of geopolitical and macro kind of issues that that are kind of contributing to that. But yes, that is a, a theme. It is a trend. I don't see it being fixed anytime soon or getting any better. 
So mm-hmm. yes, you do have to think outside the box and look into either overseas uh, people, freelancers, people that can divide their time in you know in, in many different forms that can uh, take on uh, this work for you. You know, th- things are changing. Whatever worked in the past won't work, definitely won't work in 2022 in the future. So yes, definitely using a lot of virtual people, using a lot of freelancers, using a lot of specialists. Um, that's where it's definitely heading and uh, it will be more of that in the future. Talk to me about using a lot of specialists because I, I know for me with uh, just using my social media as an example, I remember at one point trying to get somebody to just sort of be my social media person and mul- on multiple platforms. And I found that to be uh, it didn't really work well. And so when I started looking, okay, I found somebody who just loves Instagram and she eats, sleeps and breathes Instagram. And I said, you're my Instagram person. It completely changed everything for me. And so using that on different social media has been helpful. Tell me about your experience with that. It's, I could see you're smiling. You've probably been through the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's no social these days. Um, there's so much going on in social media and marketing. There's thousands of different ways to you know, be successful, no longer is it possible to have one person who knows what they're doing across different things. That's why it's so crucial, as you mentioned, to find the top uh, channels that will work for you and just go hire an expert just for that. As you mentioned, an Instagram expert. And if you're th- even if you're thinking of doing YouTube and I'm like, you know, trying to work on my YouTube channel, I'm looking to hire three different experts when it comes to YouTube. Somebody who is a creative designer for the thumbnails, one person for the editor, and then one person to manage, you know, uploading and managing this team. So it's three different people when it comes to even one, uh, one, right. one channel. So yeah, uh, the more specialized it is, the higher the value of the person goes up and obviously the better the result for you. Right, right. And uh, it's really interesting you say that three people because um, in my podcast, I've recently changed and I'm no longer using the podcast team that I was using before. And so now while between my husband and I, he's my, he's my tech guru. He's been done technology, you know, since, since the eighties. Right. So he's, he's wonderful at helping, but I'm, I, I said to him, we can't, even though we have skills, we can't be doing all this. We need to assemble a team. And we're literally assembling a, a team of somebody to write the show notes, somebody to edit the video, somebody to like, and these are all different people. Um, but you really get the best product when you do that, because I always say to people, I was a cop, I've been a cop, professional copywriter for years. And uh, because I was in marketing before I became an attorney and copywriters and graphic designers are two very different people. And we think differently and we think to ourselves, I'm just going to hire somebody to help me manage this, you know, whatever. And a copywriter is a very different skill from graphic designer, which is very different from somebody who actually is going to be the organized person to post and schedule things. Um, and I don't know if you know Sandy Van, if you followed Sandy Van or not, but Sandy Van uh, yep. is a master at, she even started her own company, Legal Support Help, uh, at, she's the one who opened my eyes to the idea of, you know, you don't need to hire one VA, you can have 14 VAs, right? We limit ourselves. And I imagine that's how you're doing a lot of this stuff with your funnels. Is that is that the case that you're you're using a lot of people more so than people believe, think would think? Yeah, actually, how many VAs do you think I have, Davina? Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know, 30? I'll say 30. Uh, 80. 80? 80 80? Wow. Yeah. Wow. About, about 50, 60 of them are pretty much full time that they're, you know, they have one ongoing task that they're doing all the time. 
And then I also have a good 20 to 30 that they're sitting in my Skype account. At any point, if I need anything done, they've already been onboarded. And, you know, they're clocked in, not clocked in, but they're there. As soon as I could message them, they'll be able to get anything done uh, while they're sitting in my uh, Skype account. So yeah, ADVAs. Um, I think the best way to think of VAs is to think about um, there's, you know, there's different types of people. There's some people that are writers. They're good at writing. There's some people who are good designers. So they're a little bit more creative. These are like graphics, images, things like that. There's people who are good at talking. So those are people that are usually going to be talking to your clients, to closing, closing your clients, things like that. And there are some people who are kind of like more macro visionaries, thinkers, things like that. You hopefully you'll be, you know, you're, you're the law firm owner, you'll be the visionary. And then you have your writer, designers, talkers around you doing very specialized things. Um, should we talk about VAs? Because I think that's super valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, I want to ask you this and then, uh, you know, feel free to share your, your tips and secrets on that. There's a couple of things that come to my mind. One is how do you keep yourself from being the bottleneck in the pl- pipeline? Because one of the things that is a challenge in working with virtual assistants, no matter what kind of business you have, is the quality of the work and do they capture the voice? Do they capture the style? And you, you as a business owner, you can be very quickly sucked into the bot- as the bottleneck because you have to approve and review and give input on everything for it gets, it goes out. So I want to hear what your insight is. And then the other thing is, as I think it's important to address for attorneys, the role that confidentiality and attorney-client privilege pays. Because I know in the mind, the brains of a lot of attorneys right now are on fire screaming as they're listening to this because they're going, oh my God, I can never hire somebody from the Philippines or whatever to do something for me because of confidentiality and I don't know them and uh, who are they and all that, all that kind of stuff. So you could address those two questions. I'd love to hear your insight, your input. Sure. Um, so let's talk about, you know, um, how do you, how do you, what's the model behind your law firm? The way that I look at it right now, the way that we're operating our law firm is a hybrid virtual law firm model. That means you have in-house directors and managers that are in-house at your law firm that you have direct communication with. And these directors managers are running your virtual operation. And pretty much 95% of our, of our staff is virtual, but, but that one manager director is the one that you are in contact with. And, and that person is essentially the bottleneck of your law firm, or at least managing <laughs> the bottleneck of your law firm, not me. So if anything happens day to day, to day that person is contacted. I'm not. So I don't, you know, I don't give out my phone numbers. I don't, um, I did, my team doesn't really email me. The, the only way that the people could communicate with me is through Slack. But at that point, you know, when once I set it up, hey, meet your manager, meet your director, you know, they'll be managing it, they'll be giving instructions. And I'm, I'm only, uh, you know, directly communicating with the director manager. And then I step away, you know, once I hand off, I, I have basically, I have the tracking sheet or I know what the goal is. Um, I check in, but I'm not, you know, daily day i'm not dealing with that and then you know when i do communicate with our team in slack i log out and i log back in once a day once every two days or so um i'm not in you know people can't reach me uh, that easily and you know that's very systematic you know it may it may feel like some for some new people that may join your team like yo where's, where's the founder i haven't talked to him in, since i joined three months ago and, and it's by design 
Uh, and, and it is like that. And that's the way you need to be. And the idea is that the more you matter to your law firm, the less your law firm is worth. Okay, take a moment to think about that. The more that you matter to I your law that. firm, the less your law firm is worth. If you're such a crucial part of your own law firm, then you're capped by how much you can grow. It depends so much completely on you. But when you take yourself out of the equation as much as you can, and instead uh, your team and your operations, your systems is what's keeping the, is the glue of your, of your funnel, then, then that's when your law firm can grow beyond you. Um, so that's one. And then the other thing we want to talk about is the whole confidentiality. I think that's a major limiting belief that a lot of people have because it's something new. And as soon as something is new, people have start having FUD, you know, fear, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt. Um, so it's one of those, for me, it's just very obvious. It's just a, it's a lim limiting belief. Um, you'll be okay. Um, I think it's just very important to hire good people from good countries, treat them well, give them respect, and they'll, you know, they'll, return the favor so far you know i hired over 200 vas in my time terminated a lot hired a lot nothing has happened no negative thing has happened i've never been sabotaged and i think ultimately it just comes down to just being a good person treat them well give positive feedback and people will give you that same respect back right right that's that's great advice and i assume that you had uh you have a process obviously for everything. And then, so I assume you have a process for hiring that you developed along the way as a result of hiring so many and sort of learning from mistakes and whatnot. Can you give us some sort of uh, tips and advice on, on your do's and don'ts when you're, when you're looking to hire, whether they're, whether they're VAs from other countries or they're just remote employees you know, in the United States or whatever, um, what, what advice would you have? I actually have three secrets. It's something I just came up with just last week after, you know, awesome. so perfect timing. Hiring, hiring. Yeah, hiring, <laughs> Tell us hiring. your secrets. <laughs> so the first one is hire VAs like they're free. Hire VAs like they're free. A lot of people get bogged down on the costs. I can't afford it. I don't have the cash flow, you know, but I'm not making, making any, really, really any money. What I found out is you, you gotta, if you look at it in a long-term perspective, if you hire a VA after a year, you look at how much it cost you and how much time and money that person made you by you have, you know, but then working for you, the ROI is ridiculous. It's probably one of the highest ROI thing you've ever seen. A full-time VA, you can get up to, you know, it doesn't have to cost that much. It might shock some people, maybe even $6,000, $8,000 for a full-time VA, if, you know, if you're doing it correctly. Um, the value is, you know, 60K plus, um, I actually just analyzed yesterday. I have about seven, eight full-time VAs that it all adds up to about 60K, which is absurd. Um, wow. But it's working. They're happy, by the way. Um, I'm happy. Everyone's happy. So when you look at the big picture, you know, the ROI, just hire like they're free. And I promise you the ROI is there very easily. Mm -hmm. Second is always hire two VAs at a time for anything. I call it the rule of twos. There's some things in life that you have to do two at a time. Hopefully, not get married two at a time, but when it comes to hiring VAs, I would highly suggest hiring two VAs at a time. And the reason is, it seems like to me, the, the VAs are hit or miss, completely hit or miss. Right now, it feels like 50-50 for me. So in order for me to protect myself against that is I always hire two. I give very similar tasks to both of them. And I, I don't interview them, by the way. I don't interview I don't meet people on Zoom. I just give them the task. They're, they're, the task that they do is my interview. And I just look to see who can do it faster and, you know, and, and, and does it better for me. If they're both good, great. I'll keep both. If not, usually 
do have one that's much better than this. The second one, I'll keep the first one, terminate the, the bottom one, and move forward with that. And that way, you know, if, if you hire one and that person is not good, then you then you have to spend another week or two waiting for the next one. That slows yeah. you down. You don't want that. So if you just hire two, you'll know within a week or two. It's like easy A-B testing, right? You're, you're, yeah, yeah. You're marketing. It's like A-B testing your VAs, and you'll know exactly who's the best. The third one is the longer you keep your VAs, the, the higher the value of the VAs uh, goes up. So try to keep your VAs as long as possible. When you bring them on, you know, they're kind of robotic. They just do what you give them. But over time, if you build them up and you train them and they get exposed more and more to your law firm, then they essentially came and run, like your, run your law firm for you. I have two of my law firms that are run, being run by VAs. Any customer support, any issues, anything that happens, the VA is running through the VA. And that's only because I've had them for many years. I even still actually have my first VA. My first VA I ever hired from six years ago is still with me. And wow. that VA, if anything ever happens, it runs through her. She can address it, call clients, you know, pauses, whatever, whatever that needs to be done, she does it. So, uh, so again, just to recap, hire VAs like they're free. Hire two VAs at a time, always. Love that secret. Love then, that. And, and then try to keep your VAs as for as long as possible. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's all terrific advice. And I love the hire two at one time. I've actually been advising a lot of my clients right now to hire everybody. Everybody they need in their firm right now. I said, just, just put ads out everywhere and just run them and continue to run them even after you hire people. Because we have so many people who are making decisions. They may interview for six jobs. They wind up getting the offer. They join yours two months later. The job they really wanted calls them and then they're out. And so I'm telling people just run ads and always be interviewing. You know, like that Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross movie, Always Be Closing. I'm, I'm saying always be interviewing. Always be interviewing. Because, um, but I think it's interesting that you said you don't interview. You just give them the task. And I thought that was a great tip. I, because one of the things that bogs um, law firm owners down is in interviewing. And, and what I've done with a lot of mine is I've referred them to um, someone who actually handles that process for them. You know, you don't need to, we kind of think we need to be the one interview, we need to do that. And if you don't yet have an HR person in your firm, find somebody you can outsource that to and get them to interview. And then they come back and they go, well, here's your short list, A and B, pick those. And you're, you just skip the interview and go right to A and B, which I think is great. How do you transmit uh, instruction to VAs? Because one of the things that I know a, a lot of law firm owners say, and I'm sure you've heard this before, is I could do it myself much faster than I could teach somebody to do this. How am I going to get this stuff out of my head? That and kills train me. I know, right? So I hate it. <laughs> so I, bring it's, it's, all, I bring it all the greatest hits today for right? your input. So I'm sharing my pain with you. <laughs> right. So this is something that everybody knows that they need to do, but a lot of people are missing their standing operating procedure. But you do it once, it's just at least you create it once, and then you add, you know, you add to it over time. But it's super crucial to create that standing operating procedure that every time that you teach anybody anything, it needs to be a rule of thumb. It needs to be recorded and it needs to be you know uploaded and linked out in your standing operating procedure for anybody who is joining your law firm to go through those standing operating procedure. So the first two days of joining my law firm, doesn't matter what you do for my law firm, you're always sent to this standing operating procedure. I want you to understand everything. I want you to download these tools. I want you to join Slack. I want you to do this, do that, do that. And then by the time they, you know, the, by the third day, they pretty much know 89% of exactly what they need to do. Um, and then, you know, whenever you do train people just make, again as i mentioned make sure to record it and 
you link out to it so that the next person, you don't have to do the uh, training again. It's rule of thumb. I don't I haven't done any trainings myself because it, everybody just goes through the training. And then if my team does the training, then they know. I didn't even tell them anymore. <laughs> that was recorded. Just put it in there. And now over time, you have this amazing kind of how to run a McDonald's restaurant, but for your long term, that anybody could come in. It doesn't matter. You don't need to talk to the manager. Just to read this thing. You'll know exactly what to do. Right, right, right. And what is wonderful about video too, because I also recommend that is in addition to videos, you've got, you can then transcribe, you can turn them into documents. So no matter who you're, and you don't have to be the one to do it, you can get a VA to do that for you, to coordinate your systems and organize them and whatnot. What's beautiful about that though, is that no matter what learning style somebody has, there's, there's a tool for them to learn, right? So they can, they can learn. You don't, you're not dealing with people with different learning styles who say, well, I, you know, I can't learn from video. I have to learn by reading it or whatever, right? Um, your, I had some other good questions for you today because um, one of the things that I want to talk about is what works, what, are there certain types of firms that work better, better with a virtual model? And I know you started out, you know, with a certain different types and you sort of niche down and now you've got like multiple firms. So I want to talk about that. Um, but also I know you've helped a number of people now with different types of law firms. And I'm sure one of the questions they ask you is, well, you know, yeah, that works for, you know, business forums online, but that's not going to work for my, for my type of law firm. Um, have you found that there are some firms that are better suited to kind of this virtual model and some that aren't? Yeah, I'm going to share one idea. Hopefully that will be a light bulb for a lot of you guys. You're not the type of lawyer that you are. You're actually a problem solver. So just to give you an example, you're not a personal injury lawyer. Stop saying personal injury lawyer. You're not an estate planning lawyer. And stop like calling yourself that and, and stop putting that on your website and your funnels. Instead, always address the specific problem that you're solving for your clients. You're a problem solver. So your content, your videos, your funnels, your website, go talk in, the, in your client's language of what, what specific problem you solve. As soon as you switch your language to that and you make your language and you make your funnels and your website all about that, then you'll see good results. Okay. So invalidate yourself. It's my website right now saying I do estate planning and I do, I do bankruptcy. Like that and you do chapter 13 to like avoid those legal terms. Nobody knows what those things are. What you do is, you know, right. you resolve people's debt, you avoid, you know, they clear the debt, things like that. So, you know, that, that's one thing that I think a lot of people could, uh, could use. Second is yes, there's definitely, some uh, practice types that are better. My, my thing is I go focus on the blue oceans. I don't get into, I don't, you know, dive in into the personal injury space when, you know, there's been, it's already a huge market, super saturated, a lot of money being spent. I'd rather go find those specific niches that nobody's really tackling on. So the more obscure it is, usually the better. Um, so, you know, don't be so don't be so traditional. Do some research, talk, talk around, see what's out there. And there's plenty of things out there. You just don't know about it. You just have to do some research or talk to smart people. Maybe that could give you some ideas. Um, and the third is, you know, uh, be mind, mindful of your, the geographic location that you, can that you can serve. Ideally, you shouldn't be, limit yourself to just your city. Um, and overall, for, for most of us, you know, we are kind of limited to our state. But if there's ways to maybe expand to be a multi-state lawyer by taking the UBE exam, that's something you might want to look into. 
or if you look into federal claims, then then that's like amazing. Uh, at this point, I'm at a point where any federal claim, I could pretty much guarantee you, I could bring you 100 clients within 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 two months, if as long as the federal claim. So see if you you know be mindful of that kind of geographic thing. So just to recap, you know you're a problem solver. So you know get away from you know being a personal injury lawyer. Second is look for those blue oceans, um, and then third. That, we just, that I just mentioned that just lost my mind is be mindful of your geographic location of, the, uh, of who you're serving. Right. Uh, you're By the way, I, yeah, exactly. And just want to also put a little asterisk. What I shared is based out of love and being mindful of what the future might look like. Or, you know, I'm not saying it to put anybody down. So if anybody's offended like yeah. that, that's not the point. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's look beyond what's in front of you. There's you nothing know, outside the box. That's, you know, be a, a it, well, and it's know. food, it's food for thought. I mean, what we're doing, yeah. what we're doing is we're throwing out something and saying, think about this and whether or not it doesn't mean that you can't um, just focus on that. That's all you want to do. If that's your passion, that's all you want to do. Um, and I have one client who was a patent attorney and really, uh, which is a, a much more rare breed. You have to be, you have to have, I let's put it this way. I took patent law and, in law school and I don't have the right undergrad degree to be a patent attorney. It was like the only thing available that I could take. And I took it. I'm like, yeah, I see why you have to have a different kind of degree than what I have to be a patent lawyer because I was terrible at it because I don't have the tech, the technical language for it. But I had a client who's a patent lawyer and then she offered trademarks and hired somebody to handle that for her as to have an additional thing because a lot of people have that expectation of IP attorney as having a full bench. Um, so not just trademarks, copyrights, but also patent. Um, but we'll move on away from this topic before you and I get ourselves into trouble with anybody <laughs> else. Um, one of the things that you you said in another interview I was listening to that I just wanted to like reach through the screen and hug you was you said that people need to stop overthinking. And you were talking about making decisions quickly, making decisions with, and don't sit on decisions. I think you were specifically talking about hiring and you're saying, don't sit on decisions that within a couple of days, you should be able to make a decision about hiring somebody. If you're spending more than that, you're overthinking. And I literally have had some clients who have gone years, years and not been able to pull the trigger to hire attorneys. And I, they'll hire staff left and right, but there is a fear around hiring other attorneys. And to go years while making excuses for not doing it, um, how is it that you got to the point where you were like, stop overthinking this. You really, within a couple of days, you make a decision, do it. What is your thought process behind that? And were you always that way? Or was it something that you've learned over time? No, I think all of us, all humans are created with, especially lawyers, because we're so analytical with, you know, a side that we're visionaries. We see something in our head that we want it to be that way. And if it doesn't line up with that, then we're not, uh, we're not willing to, you know, finish it. So I think it's a mantra that I worked on and, and I wasn't like this again. I had to work on it, but it was the mantra is done is better than perfect. And I said that to myself over and over and I put up signs around me, kept repeating to myself, done is better than perfect. And I started practicing it, um, especially when it came to videos. I think that's what usually becomes more practical when it comes to you know, recording videos or putting out content. And I got to a point where I do not care about the quality of what I put out. I, I'm totally okay with spelling mistakes. I'm totally okay with slip-ups. I'm totally okay if my phone drops off in the middle of the podcast. I'm totally okay with that. Go with it. 
it's totally okay because why it shows your true side your real side and i'm okay with just getting it out so just be okay with imperfection it's totally okay you know if you look at your life your life isn't perfect your relationships aren't perfect your marriage isn't perfect everything's not perfect be okay with that two is stop comparing stop whenever you get to a point when you're like is it should i do this or this it's a cool idea that my mentor always says is like both why not both it's like i'm thinking of doing this or this it's like both do it see what the result is and then from that point on then you'll make a decision so i'm always looking for any excuse to do anything like i don't i don't think about whether i should or not i just i just do it wait for the result to come back um other than that, also practically also helps to have somebody that you can talk to, ideally a mentor or a coper, you know, somebody that you work with. I mean, some, some, for some people, it could be your spouse, but somebody that you run, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think about this? They'll tell you their thoughts and just run with it. Um, I have a mentor. And it's been such a crucial um, part of growing so much. And now, because I saw the power of that, that's basically, I think, was one of my missions and my intents behind doing League Funnel is for me to be a mentor to other people because I know how valuable that is. And I'm, Davina, I know you do that for a lot of people through everything that you put out. Everybody needs a mentor. When you have a mentor, you don't overthink things as much because you're able to put your ideas down. And this is what I practically do is as, as I go throughout my day, different decisions, different things come to me. If I can make a decision, great, I do it. If not, I just park it into my notes called mentor notes, whatever. And then when I do get to talk to my mentor, I just go down to my list. I'm like, hey, think about this. And he just, and he just tells me his gut re <laughs> instinct reaction. Yeah, that. Yeah. And I just accept it and I just act on it. I don't mean, you know, I just say, okay, okay, cool. Okay, sounds good. Okay. I just go down the list, record my notes and I go just down the list and I delegate it or just implement and start things right away like that. So get a mentor or get somebody yeah. that you, you can ask questions and clarify your thoughts. Yeah, I love I love that. And I have when you're talking about perfection, this book sitting behind me is one of those things that just we had editors, we had proofreaders, we had and the first thing happened when I picked it up and opened it, I saw a typo in the table of contents. <laughs> that can be the like quiz for people to go find that typo in the table of contents. <laughs> I saw it immediately. It was a mis misspelling of a word, somebody had left out a letter. And I just like uh I, I because I as a as a professionally trained editor, this is like nails on a chalkboard to me. I look at, and of course, then I thumb through the book and I start highlighting all the mistakes, everything I see. And, uh, and you know, I was told, oh, send, it, send, it, send those back and we can fix them for you. I have yet to do it because I'm so busy moving forward all the time that to take the time to sit and go through and mark everything and make sure it's done and pass off and have them fix it just hasn't been as important to me because the content is good. It's valid. There's great. And for the people that, for the people it's meant to serve, it will do that job. And I think that's the hard part. It's, it's an ego thing. You know, it's very much an ego thing. And it's I definitely yeah. experienced that myself because I, I, it just, I just hate it when I put things out and there's a mistake in it or whatever. But now over the years, so many things have gone out with mistakes that it's like, I can't always be, uh, I had some, my mentor say to me, you can control all the details. You have perfectly every right. If that's what you want to do in life, you can control all the details or you can grow, but you cannot have it both. And that's really hard for detail-oriented people like me, like a lot of other attorneys who just, you know, we want things. We don't want it to go out unless it's absolutely perfect, but we have to, we have to weigh the value of the thing that we provide what we're doing. So if you're, if you're, 
as attorneys, the work is so important in terms of, um, in terms of, it can be save people money. It can save people their lives, their very lives, you know, and where those things are the most important. Yes. Those things are critical, right? It's critical when you're, when somebody's life is on the line and in your hands and you're, you're there and you're doing that. But from a business standpoint, from a, some of a social media, marketing, publishing a book, putting these out there, or maybe hiring people and trying out their skill sets and then, and then deciding which one is best and letting one go, like overthinking all of that is going to be the thing that's going to stop your growth. So there's a time when it's appropriate to think like a lawyer and put on that lawyer hat. And there's a time when it, it's appropriate to think like a visionary that you need to be if you want to grow a big business, right? Yeah. And practically, I think for most lawyers, and at least in my experience, it's like th- th- this whole idea done is brand perfect. I think it's more applicable for making videos. A lot of lawyers, I think everybody, everyone who's a law firm owner needs to make videos these days, by the way, it's, um, to kind of uh, incentivize or kind of tell people or motivate people uh, to make videos is to tell is to, for me to tell you that each video that you make is, is essentially a rental property. You know, back in the day, we had to save up a lot of money to be able to hopefully be able to put, put down a down payment for us to buy something that we could rent out to hopefully that will make us a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks a month, a month of passive income. Well, that in, in our generation, a video could be those rental properties they can create and put out to the world. And that will kind of feed you and feed your clients for many, many years. But unfortunately, a lot of people get stuck because they want it to be perfect. They, you know, people have to be dressed up, all that stuff. Instead, if you just cherish and be okay with making non-perfect videos and just pull out your phone and just start talking and just post it up and through experience you get better and better that will take you a lot further and and kind of build a foundation for the next 20 30 years of your law firm to put out these videos and hopefully in 2022 that will live out there for the next 10 20 years yeah I, well i think that's the fear some people have I, and i will say you know like um for those of us who are i'm in my 50s and so for me it is one of those things that, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to see videos myself. I, and when I first started recording my podcast, of course, I hate the sound of my voice. I don't want to listen to it. So I would just record them and not listen to them. And I let them go. And I don't know, there may be a lot of imperfections in my podcast. I don't know. I don't care. I put it out there. I get, I get the feedback that I get one way or the other. Um, but I know that it can be uh, a challenge for a lot of people because we don't, we don't want to, see ourselves or we don't want to hear ourselves and it's not who we think we are in our own mind or whatever it is. Um, and, and we're afraid people are going to judge us. I know, uh, I have a, my Instagram person wanted me to do reels and I've done some reels and I've had a couple that really hit tremendous success considering, um, that I'm still in a real growth phase. Um, but, and they were just the two dumbest reels that I did. Right. But, that's the thing is you never know what's going to hit and you don't get better at it if you don't do it and you don't practice. I still don't do enough for her because it's not always the priority for me, but um, you don't know until you try. And I try, what I try to focus on is I try to think about my own experience in listening, watching videos or, or listening to podcasts in that I'm there for information. I'm there for what they're talking about and the subject. I'm not focused on whether or not the person looks, you know, some kind of way in a video. I'm focused on, now voice definitely makes a difference. I mean, you know, there are certain people's voices that you can't, but that's okay. They're, if somebody doesn't like your voice, then 
and they're not your audience. They're not the one who's meant for you. It's just, you know, like you'll find your audience and people who can deal with all your little idiosyncrasies or whatever. But it is um, hard to not to not be critical and judge ourselves. But once you start putting things out there and you start getting feedback from people going, oh, my God, you just saved my life or you just changed my life or or, you know, that was amazing that little nugget that you shared or whatever, that's when you start to know, and you're not going to have that experience unless you just jump in and do it. Right. Correct. Or uh, one other thing I want to add to it too, is a lot of people when they put out content, they have expectations of certain number of likes, shares, comments, things like that. And a lot of people get bogged down on that or they rely on that in order to go uh, to continue producing content. If you completely just ignore numbers and just focus on what you can control, which is how many videos you can put out or you know, how you can serve your clients, then everything else will become easier. For me at this point, I became so numb to numbers. I don't care. I'll, I'll post as many videos with no likes and no comments. I could care less because I know over time, as long as my intent is right and I'm putting out good stuff, that's all that matters. What I always find is the workers are the ones who hire anyway. So the people who are looking and commenting or whatever, not to say that I don't love people who comment and who like and give me a heart, you know, I love that. But um, the ones who are your buyers of whatever type of service you've got are the ones who are following you for a while and they're probably not commenting. They're yep. probably not liking their, and, but they're the ones who've got the cash and the money to spend with you. So keep in mind you, there's a whole shadow audience out there that you're not even aware is out there. And the more you put out, the more likely you're going to, you know, expose yourself and the good work you do to those, to those people. Um, I do think with it, I don't know if you've had this experience with some of your attorney clients where they are concerned because they're concerned about putting a video out there where they're going to share some legal tidbit and they're going to be wrong or some other attorney is going to argue with them or anything like that. Have you had anybody say that to you about it? Because I know that that's like been an underlying secure insecurity of some people that I've heard. Yeah. Again, another major limiting belief at these days, I'm like so conscious of these limiting beliefs as soon as they hear it. I'm like, it's hard to like argue against or argue for it. I just, I'll just put out there just a limiting belief. Um, yeah. We could get into it, but it is just a limiting belief. Well, and let's talk about what a limiting belief is for those of us who aren't familiar with that language. Cause um, you know, you and I know what that means. So limiting belief, tell, tell me how you would define a limiting belief. It's a thought that you have about yourself that prevents you from doing what you really want, uh, what you're really capable of. And the thing about limiting beliefs is that only you place it on yourself. So it's, it's self-made, but in reality, what I do inside of our program, the first thing I do is I make everybody write down their goals. Okay. Second thing we do is if you do achieve these goals, how will you feel? So that's usually your why. And then the third thing that you do is what are some limiting beliefs that you have about yourself that have kind of held you back up to this point? A lot of people say, I'm not technical enough. I'm not, you know, I'm not a good delegator. I'm not this and that. I'm like, okay, put it out. And I just wait for people to put it out. I'm like, great, put it down on your worksheet. Now I want you to take this, this statement that you just made to me and flip the knots into is and the is into is nots. So if I'm, if I'm not technical enough, so now I want you to flip that over to I am very technical. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and you, I mean, everybody flips it. And I'm like, now repeat that to yourself. And everybody repeats it like, Oh, wait, I am technical enough. I am good enough to do this. I am wow. actually to do this. Wow. And just realized, yeah, and everyone just realizes, wait, this is just things that I just told myself, but it doesn't necessarily have to be true. And it really is true. You know, um, I remember one time I 
got an advice about how to remember names. Um, this teacher was instructor was, was teaching about how to remember names. He's like, listen, I'm going to tell you one lesson from this point forward. I want you to, to tell yourself that you're great with names. You're good with names. And he just flipped it for us. And then from that point forward, I remember it was like 10 years ago, I learned this. I'm like, no, I'm actually great with names. So since then, I've been great with names. <laughs> wow. That is, that, is mar- that is amazing. The power of the power of how we talk to ourselves, what a difference it makes and what we can accomplish and not accomplish. And it it's a struggle that, you know, as human beings, we all have those points where we're have insecurities or doubts or whatever, but it's so important, the language that we use when we talk to ourselves about what we're good at, what we're not. And, you know, it's funny because you say that about technology and we have a very clear division of task in my household because my husband and I both are entrepreneurial and I'm the reader and he's the one who handles the tech stuff because, you know, with my experience as a writer and as a, an attorney, I, you know, reading contracts, whatever, I'm the reader. When it comes to technical stuff, he's, I, I don't have the patience for it. And I also think that just because I don't have the mechanical mindset or the technical mindset or the patience for it doesn't mean that I can't accomplish what I want to accomplish because I'm looking at the who, not the how, right? I'm looking at who who it is that can do that for me and handle that for me. Um, and he's he's wonderful, you know, that I, I that I live with my tech guy, right? But also. I don't rely solely on him. I look for other people who have that skills, who have those skills to be able to help me set things up and make things happen. And, and I know how to do things. I learned how to out of, because I don't ever want to be at a point where I can't get done what I need done, but it, it, it is not, I know it's not the highest and best use of my time. Right. Yeah. So I'm looking, I'm always looking for other people who can do things to support me so that I can focus on, the thing that is really my my gift, you know, my superpower or whatever, and uh, it can be hard when you when you're good at. I don't know if you ever heard the expression like when you're good at a lot of things, you're really and you're focused on those things that you're good at. You're keeping yourself from the thing that you're greatest, your zone of genius or whatever you want to call it, because you're so busy being good. And that was a big a big aha moment for me. How much time I spent doing things I was good at. When I first started this business, I was doing a lot of the doing for clients and really the mindset work is the thing that was most powerful for them. I didn't need to write copy or, you know, whatever to help them, even though I'm good at it. It wasn't the thing that I'm truly great at or truly wanted to do. Right? You mentioned such amazing points right there, that division of labor and who, not the how. One thing I also want to add to it too is being so self-aware of who you are, knowing yourself and being true to yourself. Now that you know yourself, that you're like this, being true to yourself and accepting who you are. And again, as you mentioned, you, your actions should go towards what you're good at and what you enjoy doing and then let everyone else handle the rest. Um, that is really like one of the secret sauces of being successful. It's like, you know, being true to yourself and only doing those things that you're great at and enjoy doing and everything else being handed off. Sam, I thank you so much for being here. You and I could probably talk for another hour, I know, um, but we probably need to wrap it up. And I thank you for being on the Wealth Woman Lawyer Podcast. This is going to be coming out uh, in, a, in about a week from the day we're recording it. And we're also going to have it on YouTube. So a lot of people will be able to see and hear and share their comments and their thoughts and, you know, tell us where we're right, tell us where we're wrong. 
<laughs> uh, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Davina. Uh, I want to give props to you because I know you serve your audience with your whole heart and you, um, you're really giving out to the world what you're best at, what you really enjoy doing. So anybody who's been watching and following Davina, listen to her, take her actions, whatever program that she has, sign up and do it because it's going to be good for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Of course. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Davina. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, Go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash leave. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash leave. Leave is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.